Well, what an amazing event, and, uh, and if you missed it, we'll be doing it again next year. We'd love to have you come back for that. Big thanks to all the volunteers who gave up so much of their time that night to be a part of that. It was a really, really fun event for our community, and I'm uh, really excited about that. And so, well, as we continue in our service, uh, I know all you all know this is a big week in the life of our country. Uh, the election is on Tuesday, and uh, we just thought, as a pastoral team, that we just thought, man, what better place to do than to spend some time kind of in prayer for our country, for our nation, and to kind of ask you guys to join in with us in prayer for those things, for, for whoever's elected, for those that are coming out of office, for our teachers, for everyone in our country right now. And so we made a little bit of a video this week in some different locations in Kentucky, and we'd like you just to kind of not just watch this video, but join in and pray with us as you guys watch this video. So right here, let's go. These are important days to pray for our country. We must pray for the leaders, the influencers, and the people. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is honoring, and prayer brings peace. Prayer centers our heart on God and His promises. So today, will you join me in prayer? Pray for unity. Pray for justice. Pray for freedom. Pray for hope. Pray for wisdom. Pray for healing. Pray for the days to come. And pray for peace knowing at the end of the day that God is still on the throne. I'm here in Frankfort, Kentucky, overlooking the Kentucky River and the state capitol. On November 3rd, our nation will once again exercise one of our most cherished freedoms, the right to vote. We're taking a moment to pray for our elected officials who are currently in office or will be in office. The weight of governing and guiding the future of thousands or even millions of people is a monumental task. As a church, we've often prayed this verse in 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Friends, let's pray for wisdom, humility, and the Lord's blessing on our leaders today. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are ever present in the midst of our country right now. God, I pray for those right now who are in office and maybe leaving office and pray for those that will be coming in to office as well. God, we pray you give them wisdom beyond their years. Give them discernment that only comes from you. Give them the, the ability to make the right choices. God, we pray right now for those that are a part of the election process. God, we pray for those amazing volunteers at the polling locations. Thank you for the sacrificial service. God, we pray for everyone that's going to be in office. God, that you would just help them, guide them, guide their steps as they navigate the tough challenges in our country that we face right now. God, we give this season to you. We give this election to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are at Lafayette High School. One thing that's difficult about this season is it doesn't matter what generation you come from, every generation from boomers to Gen Z, feels the effects of this season. But it matters that we not forget the future generation, those entrusted to shape the minds of students in classrooms, whether that's virtual or in person. Our teachers are real heroes. They're national treasures working hard every day to develop our children and our grandchildren and to the society of tomorrow. I love that the Bible challenges us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray, saying, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. 
pray this way for kings and all those in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So today, will you join me as we pray for our teachers for strength and perseverance to speak words of truth and peace and kindness into the next generation? Pray with me, please. God, we do thank you for these men and women who have given their lives in service to the future generation. Would you, even today, encourage them as they're having to be creative to teach in ways they've never taught before? Would you empower them with a special gift of kindness and insight and wisdom and gentleness as they care for our kids, for our grandkids, for those that we care for the most. Thank you for them and the special gift that they are to us and to our society. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm here at the state capitol of the Commonwealth of Kentucky and there are over 97,000 people who work for our local and state government. From paralegals to firefighters, clerks and construction workers, police officers and postal workers, thousands of people that work hard every day to provide better lives for all of us. And Psalm 33:12 declares, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his own. Together, let's pray for our government workers as they serve us with honor. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for people that get up every morning to serve us, to make this a better place for us to live and for the state of Kentucky. Uh, God, we pray blessing on their jobs and on their families, for the people that they come into contact with, for the hard days and the late nights and the early mornings. Lord, would you bring blessing to our state through the service of these people? And we pray uh, that their, their service would not go in vain. Lord, would you use them to bless uh, the people of this state? And we pray it all in Jesus' powerful name. Well, this is our beautiful city of Lexington, a diverse tapestry of over 300,000 people with different stories and different perspectives. You know, during times like this, our diversity is on display, especially during election time. We have differing opinions of what the role of government is in our lives, different thoughts on what is socially and morally right. In fact, this year, we can't even agree on how to express our opinions, whether it needs to be a write-in vote or vote in person. Few things divide like politics because few things divide like fear. And 2020 has been a year that's been characterized by fear and the exploitation of that fear. You know, love unites whereas fear divides. And so today I wanna to pray together against that spirit of fear. Pray for unity and love that we share together. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, I'm leaving you a gift and here's the gift peace of mind and of heart. And the peace that Jesus says I give to you is a peace that the world cannot offer. So he says, do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Let's pray together against that spirit of fear that comes against us. Father, today we take time to join our hearts together to pray for the peace and the love that only comes from you. God, we pray the truth of Philippians chapter four, that may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and all circumstances, may it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And today, may we be a people who are united in our love and our peace that is found only in you. 
So today I want to encourage you to be active in your citizenship, to allow your citizenship in heaven to impact your citizenship here on earth, to be reminded that we, we don't serve a party or an earthly leader, but we serve a king who sits on the throne. And you know, once all the ballots are counted, we are still one people, united under one God with one purpose. So people come together. Those strange as neighbors, our blood is one. Powerful truth. Thanks for joining us in a time of prayer. And I think it is just a position to find ourselves postured as followers of Christ in these days. It's just to be prayerful and mindful. Because in a year of many memorable weeks, this week may be one of the most memorable that we have after Tuesday night as we go. Following Tuesday evening, some will be feeling like, oh, my prayers have finally been answered. And others will feel like our country has fallen to a place that they don't know if it ever will return from. This week offers for us potentially the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And as Christians, we're going to find ourselves on both sides of the fence on the emotions that we're going to face this week in different things. So I just want to encourage you, get ready. 2020 just keeps on giving. And uh, away we go in these next few days. And, you know, in anticipation of these days to come, I don't know about you, my heart has been heavy with lots of things and um, questioning and wondering and some of the bigger questions of life have, I've been pondering and it's simply this, you know, is God sovereign? And is God sovereign over everything, even things like our election? If God is sovereign over these things, then why do I even bother to vote? Or maybe I don't want to at all. And what's the responsibility, what's my civil responsibility as a follower of Christ in these days? If I'm, questions I've won, if I'm praying for my candidate, and you're praying for your candidate, then who is God listening to when it comes to these moments on who we should respond to in such a way? You ever think about those things? And if my candidate loses, then is all hope lost for our country, and have we derailed God's plan for what God has for this country in the days to come? Just some light questions that I've been pondering late at night as I sit about these things. Because really, the question I'm asking is really a question that's been asked for centuries, right? What is the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? No small question, but a powerful and significant question in days like this. This week... Will the free will of man affect the sovereignty of God and what he has planned for our country? Does our free will determine, right? Does it determine the sovereignty of God and what he has going? And what we're going to talk about over these two weeks is really this. I want you to come for both of them. Is that question? How do we deal with the idea of the sovereignty of God and then how do we deal with the issue of free will and man and how do these two interact together? So that's where we're going to look today. So let me start today. I'm going to take a little briefer time. We're going to talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God and then next week I want to talk about the free will of man. So let me define the sovereignty of God. I've tried to work on this a little bit this week and this is what I've come up with, good and bad. The sovereignty of God means that he has total control over all things, past, present, and future. That nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. Here's a key one. All things are directly caused by him or consciously allowed by him for his purpose and pleasure. And nothing will enter your life that, if you are willing to trust in him, he cannot work out for your good. Let me give you that one more time because it took me a little while, right? 
The sovereignty of God means that he has total control over all things past, present, and future. We're going to see this today. Nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. Two things why things happen. All things are directly caused by him or consciously allowed by him for his own purpose and pleasure. That's the key. And nothing will ever enter into your life that if you are willing to trust in him, that he cannot work out for his good. I don't know about you, that's a truth I, I've got to rest in on years like 2020. That God, I, I just have to trust that nothing happens that doesn't pass through your sovereign, loving hands. And you either allow it or create it for your goodness and your purpose and not mine. And I can rest in that. So that's what we want to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 50. If you've got your phones and you're new here, you go to lexcity.info. All the sermon notes, uh, that definition and all those things are included there at lexcity.info. Let me catch you up to speed at Genesis chapter 50 as we go. Because it's one of my favorite examples, I think, as I try to process what's the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. <clears throat> it's the story of Joseph. And we pick up the story where Joseph is meeting with his brothers, but let me just really briefly back it up a little bit farther. Joseph, one of many brothers, his father shows favoritism to Joseph by giving him a coat of many colors. His brothers become jealous. Uh, we're going to kill him, throw him in a pit. He's sold into slavery into Egypt. And during the time of Egypt, he rises to second in power and command. Great famine comes on the land. Joseph is in charge of dispilling all the goods and all the foods. His brothers come, don't recognize who Joseph is. Joseph recognizes his brothers. Now he's got a moment of decision. Does he carry righteous vengeance or does he show grace and mercy? Sends him back to his father. Father dies. Now his brothers are coming back to Joseph and they know who Joseph is now. And they know that his brother recognizes who they are. And so they plead, ask for forgiveness. And here's the key phrase. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Key verse for our series. Joseph says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Genesis chapter 20, we see, or 50, chapter, verse 20, we see two things come into play. We see free will, right? Look at what it says. Free will because his brothers intended to harm him. Don't sugarcoat this. Joseph says, I'm not sugarcoating this. I know you not only intended to harm me, you, har you intended to kill me. To wipe me out. That was your choice. We're not denying that. So there was your free will. But he says this, that God is sovereign because he uses your evil for his good. And what was the good? That many will be saved because of this man's harmful decision of his brothers that they did in their free will. So God is sovereign. So what I want to do today, just in our, our time, I want to take you on a little journey of the sovereignty of God and how we see it live throughout the scriptures. And we're going to see this journey is going to continue in spite of the foolishness of man and the wickedness of his free will. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 37. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, can I encourage you this week, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. It's an amazing story. I'm going to give you an overview as we go. But Genesis chapter 37, verse 3 and 4. Jacob Joseph's father loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob made a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of his father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Free will, right? Jacob's free will, he shows favoritism to his son 
because he was a son born to him in his later years, free will, Joseph chooses to flaunt that preferential treatment, and if you're familiar with the story, even flaunt his abilities to share dreams in front of his brothers. At this point in the story, I think we would agree, neither man is using godly wisdom in their life, and the result of these choices, move on to verses 23 and 28. So when Joseph arrived, he goes to see his brothers. His brothers ripped off the beautiful robe that he was wearing. So when the Ishmaelites, uh, who were Mennonite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. The context of the story, some of the evilest men in the world who deal in the issue of human trafficking, of all things, come by this one cistern at such a moment, and they buy Joseph. Out of sheer coincidence, the place that they are heading to do their trading, because they were Midianites, was the land of Egypt. When they arrive at Egypt, in all the millions of peoples, of all the people Joseph could be sold to, he's sold to the house of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife, in her free will, is a woman who chooses not to honor her marriage and be faithful to her husband, so she makes advances towards Joseph. Joseph, in his free will, chooses to be a man who stands for righteousness and and turns her down, and as a result of that, is thrown into prison by Potiphar's wife and accusations that would be there. You ever made the right decision and end up in the wrong places? I mean, our health and wealth and prosperity gospel really falls apart if you read the Bible. Here's Joseph living a righteous life and yet is in a more difficult situation than if he wouldn't. So in prison, of all the places, he gets elevated to a point of being in charge and he becomes in charge of two officers who are officers of Pharaoh at that moment. These two officers have various stories, read the stories, it's absolutely amazing. They connect him with Pharaoh at some point in the journey. And at this point in the story, think about it. Nobody has used godly wisdom or righteousness in any of their decisions, yet in this point in the story, we find Joseph second in command of the entire land. For you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position that I could save the lives of many. And the sovereignty of God is on display. Pharaoh rewards Joseph and says, Joseph, you can bring your whole family here. I'd love to have you settle. So Joseph comes. The Israelites over a period of time grow and multiply. They multiply quickly. Now we're probably at around 2 million people. A little Pharaoh later on in years who doesn't know the stories of Joseph all of a sudden looks around his land and says, I've got 2 million immigrants here. I can use these people to build what my will is and the evilness of my free will. I will take and enslave these people. And he does. For 400 years, this happens, and in the midst of this time, a baby is born. And the mother of this baby, in order to save this baby, takes this baby and puts it in a small basket and drops it in the Nile River. As the baby's floating there in the Nile River, of all the hundreds of people who could have found this baby, there happened to be one person that did, and that was Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. Isn't Moses lucky? Was it really luck? Was it mere chance that of all the people who were bathing at the river at that time, and there would be hundreds if you've ever been in that part of the country, of all the people, was it mere luck that of all them, it was Pharaoh's daughter who found this baby named Moses? See, if we believe in this idea that it was real luck, then the the logical conclusion simply says this, that 
that we are simply a, an accident, right? That we're not in control of everything. That everything happens to us is strictly accidental, and so there's no meaning in life. There's no purpose. It's just luck. Life is random, and you're simply along for the ride. That's what we believe to be true. Or, or we could take the other perspective. It wouldn't be luck. That, that it was really fate, all right? This idea of, of fate. That we have no control over our destiny. What will be will simply be. It was just fate that that's where Moses would go, and that would be Pharaoh's daughter. Everything is determined that you're just a puppet playing your part on this earth, and you possess no sense of free will at all. The problem with either of those views of luck or fate is that neither of them are what the Bible teaches us, right? The Bible teaches this, that man has free will, and those choices are going to determine the quality and the direction of your life and the things that we do. Moses had a free will. Think about this as a young man. He sees an Egyptian soldier uh, abusing an Israelite slave at that moment, and Moses responds out of his choice, whether it be anger or righteous anger, whatever he does, in that response, he kills the Egyptian. For fear of what he has done, he quickly flees to the wilderness for fear of his life, and at the wilderness is where God meets Moses, and God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, and he commands him to go, and I want you to lead my people, and once he say, I want you to lead them to the promised land. God then in the story makes a people who were once a slave into a nation. And he gives them his law. He then allows the prophets and the kings to rule before a child was born in the context of this new nation. And a child is born, and at this time when this child is born, the government creates a, consensus, a census because it wants for the evil purposes of increasing taxation. They want to know all the people who are in the country at that time. And so this appointed baby who was born in the midst of all this that was prophesied many years ago is born what? Into the city of Bethlehem as we go. Free will allows every person to accept or reject the Messiah. The government and the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah and they condemned him to the cross. A prophecy that was given hundreds of years before is now fulfilled through the free will of man. And around 2,000 years later, in a small little town in the Republic of Congo in Africa, my mother shares with me the story of Jesus. And God in his sovereign grace reveals himself to me and my, in my free will, choose to respond to that and am saved in that moment. And the story continues and continues to a point that every tongue and every nation on this planet at someday will hear the name of Jesus. And this will continue, what, until the glorious return of our Savior. And this amazing global story that goes all throughout history starts with a really poor wardrobe choice. A coat of many colors or simply something gray. No coat, no jealousy. No jealousy and no betrayal. No betrayal, no trip to Egypt. No Egypt, no Potiphar's wife. No Potiphar's wife, no butcher, baker, and candlestick maker. Thus there would be no Pharaoh and no Exodus and no nation and no Messiah and no resurrection and no salvation and no eternal kingdom of God. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And the story doesn't end there. 
You go to the end of the book, right? We go all the way to the end of the book and we see the sovereign plan of God fulfilled. Revelations chapter 21, verse one and two says this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the, new earth, and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I mean, that's the end of the story. That starts back with all the way to the garden, went to a bad wardrobe choice, and ends with a new heaven and a new earth. So I want to encourage you today that whatever happens this week in an election of mere man, that it will not change either the day or the moment of God's sovereign timeline for his people. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter, right? Doesn't mean what we're doing here doesn't matter as a people. We're not fatalist in terms of that. But it means that the end destination and the end time are preordained, but our free will will determine the course that we take. Think about it. The children of Israel. The children of Israel could have got from Egypt to the promised land in a matter of days, but it took them a matter of years because their free will and their choices determined the length and it determined the amount of pain that they would encounter on their journey, but the destination was still the same. Let me try to maybe illustrate that for you, for, uh, for you another way. We're on a cruise ship leaving from New York, and we're going go to go to Liverpool, all right? The destination has been determined by the port authorities and the captain. We know where we're going. We know the time frame, the markers we've got to hit to get there. On board of this ocean liner, there are hundreds of passengers, right? And all of these passengers, nobody's chained into their cabins. Uh, there's no law that determines what the, uh, the passengers are supposed to do during this time. They're completely free to move anywhere on this boat as they wish. They can hang out at the buffet. They can go see a cheesy show. They can uh, take, go out and get a sunbathe on the port. They can just read a book. They can sit in a room and do absolutely nothing. The whole time of all this is going on, right, be reminded of this, that the ship is steadily steaming onwards towards a predetermined point and a port and a schedule. In this illustration, both sovereignty and free will are at work, and we don't necessarily see a contradiction. A lot of holes in the illustration, but a simple illustration that I think reminds us of the complexity and really the mysteries of God as we go. So I want to encourage you today as we think about that, that God's got this. When we look at our country, God, God's got this. He's okay. That no matter the results, that he's still on the throne. That 2020, as hard and as difficult as it has been and as difficult and challenging as it will be in the days to come, listen, this is all part of his story. That you are a part of his story. So as your pastor today, can I just say to you, I, I'm less concerned with who you vote for and I'm more concerned with how you treat the people who vote for somebody different than you. Because at the end, I trust in the sovereignty of God. And I know that we are just on this journey together. And so may I encourage you today that let's journey together well. Next week, we're gonna see how we do that and how our free will makes a big difference in that point. But today, I just give you hope. 
that God is in charge and sees all things of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That nothing happens in your life or in our country and in our world that doesn't pass through his sovereign hands. And the beauty is we know the end of the story and we win. We know the end of the story that God sits on a throne, amen? And so when fear rises up and uncertainty comes, rest in that truth that we serve a sovereign God but he's gonna call us to respond appropriately in free will. We'll see that. Father, today we take time just to, to wrestle in that simple but profound life-changing truth that one of the attributes of who you are is that you are sovereign. So today, as we think in this week to come and all the uncertainty and all that means and the ripples and consequences of what happens in the next few days. God, we do rest in that truth. That the destination has been set. That we're steaming forward in confidence and we trust you in that. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. You know, today, one of the fun things we get to celebrate together is this area of baptism. And you're gonna, in just a few moments, get to hear some stories of folks who have experienced this where the sovereignty of God comes in direct contact with their free will and they choose to place their faith in Jesus and the difference that has made for their lives. And so we wanna share some of those stories and celebrate with them on a day that they've chosen to go public with their faith. And before you and before the Lord say, I wanna tell the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. And so let's listen to their stories.